0: Hello and welcome to episode 100 of the Good, Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray at the controls as we prepare to take our weekly poke behind the scenes of all things golf. Yes, episode 100. And even though I'm a curmudgeon at heart, even I reckon that means we should do something a little bit special. So we have. We've invited along one of our favourite guests and friend of the pod, Mike Clayton, to bring the perspective that only he can on any and everything golf. Michael in just a moment. But first, my co-host for all but, I think, one of these 100 episodes. <laughs> is that right, like Is that right? The, the award-winning episode. The award-winning. <laughs> no, two episodes you missed out on that. Oh, did I did You, Well, I co-hosted one with Harley Cruz when you went oh, north right. to play the yep. mid or whatever. What, yep. how, now, why did you miss the other one? I, I, I don't know. Hopeless. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So you've been here for 98. So in two episodes' time, we'll have a celebration for you. Okay. it will be your 100. 100. Is just a number. Good so to nice. see you this morning. Yeah. Looking forward to chatting with Clates, as always. Uh, and, of course, enough from us. Let's bring in the man himself, Mike Clayton, who we find, not surprisingly, immersed in a golf event, preparing to caddy this week for Elvis Smiley at the TPS event at Rosebud. Clates, how are things looking down there? Pro-Am day-to-day for you, I think?
1: It's a, pro, it's a nine-hole Pro-Am. So they had... Nine holes yesterday, nine holes at 12.30, and nine holes at 2.30.
0: So Elvis played nine yesterday and nine No, No, no.
1: There are three separate pro-ams, and everyone gets, oh, okay. I think the guys in the pro-am get to play nine holes each. It seems-
0: oh, nine holes with one pro, then nine holes with another. This is an idea I think the LPGA started. No, well, might
1: have. Yeah, I'm not sure if the same groups go on to a different pro or there are just three separate nine-hole pro-ams.
0: But right, okay. Anyway. And That's, we can hear the 1983 Australian Open champion smashing his plate in the background there, yeah, cleaning up his breakfast. His Is he plate. Peter Fowler staying with you?
1: Chucky's staying with us, yeah. Chucky's Chucky needs to be quieting down the plate don't. banging. <laughs> <laughs> this
0: this <laughs> always very always high like level recording, yeah. yeah. I always like it when we talk to you down at your place there and Chucky Fowler staying in the house. There's just something about it that <laughs> pleases me. Um TPS events, Clayton, this is your second year of them. Obviously, I think you caddied again last year. Uh, give us some thoughts on that because it's fairly innovative. This one hasn't been picked up overseas the way the Vic Open has as yet. Can you see that happening?
1: Uh, possibly. I mean, the women's mill is much smaller. It's not as though it's an, even, it's an equal field. But they play in the same tournament. So they're, they're trying to even up the scores so that uh, last year, I think, Suo Elvis and Brad Kennedy were pretty much tied or – within one of each other with three or four holes to go. So that's the idea is they set the courses up so that they try and even the scores out, which inevitably means to... T- Elvis was an amateur, yeah. He finished yeah. one behind. Brad Kennedy buried the last beating by one. So it was a bit COVID affected. The crowds were deliberately quite small, but uh, this year the, uh, there is no limit on the crowds and the weather's kind of... Well, it's cold today, but it's it'll be a decent week. It's the course is terrific. It's in great condition. Ian Todd is the ex-Victoria superintendent who came here about five years ago and transformed the golf course. Really, it's in fantastic condition. So,
0: was a revelation last year, Rose. Mm -hmm. But I thought because I'd never been there or played there, but they streamed the event last year and it was. In fact, I should be careful
1: me saying it's in fantastic condition people, <laughs> people would see that as a very derogatory comment and a way of avoiding the fact that it's actually a terrible golf course but Rosebud is a, it's a fabulous course, it's a really good piece of ground and uh, lots of good holes and it's a, it's a terrific course to be playing tournament golf on, if it was on the European Tour it would be one of the best five courses they would play, play. They play. So it, it fits your eye, is that what you're saying? Uh, it's all there in front of you, Roger. It's all right there in front of you. Yeah, it's all right there in front of you.
0: man who's complained that the condition at Metropolitan's been too good for 40 years and he's never had a bad lie, and That's a source of some concern <laughs> for him, uh, which is fair enough. Uh, just for those who don't know, the, the TPS, what is it, the Tournament Players Series? That yeah, it's yeah that's right. So yeah. Women, professional men and elite amateurs, and I think maybe juniors as well, uh, all play both uh, girls and boys, uh, all in mixed up groups, and lots said it was just fabulous. We give the authorities in Australia plenty of stick, Logue. In fact, we give the authorities around the world plenty of stick. It's partly our job. Credit where it's due, though. This innovation—we always talk about wanting something. You know, this really is innovative, isn't it?
2: Mm, yeah, this is great, and you, know, you can see the the joy on the players' faces that they're competing against each other, and they seem like pretty straightforward events to run. Like because they're not. It gets to that conversation we had a few weeks ago with Jimmy, where. One measure of success is do you set out – Did you achieve what you set out to achieve? And these things aren't just setting out to achieve something pretty simple, like yep. just let's stage an event, let's get people playing golf. And, you know, they're born out of the, uh, the pandemic, so uh, there's a very pragmatic approach to the whole thing, yep. and getting the job done. you know. Yep. Um, I'm interested, Clates, is there any tweaking of the T's uh, for the women – this week compared, compared to, to last year? year. Yeah, yeah, now they've had a year under their
0: belt.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, I wasn't paying that much attention to where the women's tees were, but it looked like they were in the same place. The The men's course is different and more difficult. They've mm-hmm. moved the tee back at the first two holes. They're both 40 metres longer. Uh, they're not playing the holes that were six and seven last year, but they're playing... Um, I don't know what number hole on the south course and the ninth on the south course so um, they've taken two holes out and putting two holes off the other course into the routing which kind of makes sense it flows a little better perhaps Uh, anyway it's by the by but uh, the men's course is a little longer and more difficult than it was last year
0: for the players' clothes, so and Elvis is a prime example, young guy starting out his career, COVID strikes, that makes everything difficult. How important are these events in that sense just to have competitive play? Obviously he did very well last year. I'm sure he'd be confident heading into the week this year, having played well there last year, but just to keep being able to play.
1: Well, they're important. I mean they cancelled New Zealand yesterday, so that it's not great. Obviously, the leading three guys on the order of merit get exemptions into Europe, so that's what he's after. Ted Morgan's obviously got one of them because the PGA, the money's so much bigger, that distorts everything. Uh, so he's got to win one, you know, a couple of these or three of these probably, at least two. So that's what he's after. Uh, 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 and that's what all of the all of the players here are after that, really. So it's... Um,
0: Harpo's are getting harder, aren't they, when you, I remember yeah, Wayne Grady yeah. told me when he went to Europe, he went to Europe with Peter Seen he went to Europe with Wayne Grady in the late 70s. Yeah, he was turn, se- mon- turn up nine, Monday qualifier, shoot 76, you'd get in the tournament.
1: Yeah, Elvis was, uh, Chuck and I played with Elvis yesterday and we were talking about He said, how did you guys get on to Europe? He said, well, we just turned up on Monday and played. So what do you mean? Well, we didn't have to go to the tour school. So the Europeans had a tour school, but the South Africans and the Australians and New Zealanders didn't have to go to it. We could just turn up on Monday.
0: What was that? Because you were Commonwealth.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea why well, they were very generous to us. But we turned up on Monday, and if you made the Monday and made the cut, you kept playing. It was actually a great system.
0: Mm.
1: Probably not practical now because of the distances between the tournaments, but it was a, if you could play, you got on the tour.
0: Yeah. Ryan French would be horrified by the notion that you could shoot 76 in a Monday qualifier and get into the field. Now you shoot 64, you're probably going to a, be in a playoff or going home. Uh, that's how it can be. That might be the biggest change in professional golf, don't you reckon, leaving aside the technology, distance and that sort of stuff. Just being able to get on a tour to play is 10 it's times harder now yeah, than it was 30 years ago. It's much more difficult, yeah. I mean, there's more tours, tours, but there's, there's a lot more players yeah. trying to get on them as well. Yeah. Now, the reason that they're trying to get on those tours, Clates, is money, obviously. And the big news overnight, I don't know how closely you've been following this. I think you've got Jeff Shackleford's newsletter no, so you can give us the the skinny notes on what Greg Norman announced. This is this whole Saudi Arabia Asian to a Greg Norman. We won't call it a love triangle. We'll just call it a triangle. A <laughs> uh, series of events announced overnight. What have they done, Logue? And we're going to get close to tell us what this might mean for professional golf.
2: Yeah, so there was a press conference overnight. I'm... Um- uh, just still trying to take in all the details of it, but you've got Greg Norman hosting a press conference, so we're off to a great start there. And uh, a fantastic summary of it is actually on Jeff Shackelford's um, sub-stack. Quadra- uh, the quadrilateral. If you don't yeah.
0: subscribe to it, do yourself a favour
2: and do it. Yeah, so just put a little plug in for that. But nobody does it better in the golf industry like picking apart the corporate speak mm-hmm. of, of things like this than Jeff Shackelford. And uh, he starts off this by pointing out a few bullet points here. There were fourteen grows, <laughs> four grow the games and uh, growing the games, five golf spaces, whatever that is. Uh, six pies and pieces of pie or slices of sectors oh, of the thing golf was bizarre, ecosystem. yes. I don't know so what it was about. Lots of lots of pie metaphors and growing the game uh guff. Um so sounds like a lot of platitudes from Norman um, in this press conference. But what it all basically boiled down to was the announcement of some Asian tour events from what I can... A series of 10, the international yeah, series. It's 10, 10 international events, Bigger series. purses than
0: most of the other Asian tour events. Yeah. One of them's going to be played in London, others in Hong Kong, I think, and uh, various other places around the world. Let's just back up a bit, Clay. When Norman opens his mouth these days in these kinds of press conferences, it's just bizarre what comes out of it. You kind of know him a bit. You're of a similar vintage. Was he always like this? He was a bit. I remember being at a golf
1: writer's dinner in Sydney on a table with Jack... Newton, Jackie Newton, Kathy Shearer, Bob Shearer, Debbie, me, Huggy. And Greg made a speech and when he sat down, at the collective table just kind of looked at each other and said, what was that?
0: What <laughs> did just, he say? I,
1: well, it was just a bizarre rambling of, it was, yeah, it
0: was incredible. So they were all words but then they've been put together no, but that nothing made any sense nothing
1: made any sense together. at all we just, at it's a, just like king king Lee just is a say of words all put
2: together yeah yeah, yeah. i've got yeah. a theory about greg norman and his talking right is, is that nobody ever tells him to stop well, <laughs> <laughs> nobody ever pulls him and says greg you're not making sense There's that but i think he's highly optimized for speaking to a small group of people mm. who can or who are all within earshot of him like four or five people at a group in a group of golf. He's probably he's very used to entertaining people in a group of golf, or like five half a dozen people standing around him, and everything he says, all of his speech patterns play really well to a crowd that size. Uh-huh. Thing things like um, opinions without any substantiation, like there's women in the restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yes. might, the the women in the restaurants thing might play pretty well to a group of a half a dozen people just standing around him. They'll, they'll look at him sagely, and nobody's gonna nobody's gonna like question that. But you can't go and be the public figure of a of a big organisation like this, sprouting that sort of nonsense. That's uh, it. Just doesn't work. So his his shtick that works pretty well for half a dozen people just doesn't translate across to being. A CEO speaking to large groups of people, or actually broadcasting a message in a press conference like this, where he's got to, he's got to resort to
0: platitudes and motherhood statements and corporate speak. He's also probably spent the bulk of his life having people just agree with him. Yeah. The other thing. He's always been the centre of attention for as long as he can probably remember. and So it doesn't matter what he says. People will nod and agree. and There'll be no feedback to him that suggests you're not making any sense. In a bigger picture, so I was a bit conflicted. I was thinking about this Saudi thing the other day. Your mate Eamon Lynch is writing regularly about this and just eviscerating Norman and the Saudis and the whole idea. I'm not sure I agree 100% with everything that Eamon says about what's going on, partly because I was watching the Asian tour a couple of weeks ago. There's some really, really, really talented young players on that tour. Really talented players. And their opportunities for the last years have been almost nil because the Asian Tour was just decimated by COVID. What the Saudis are doing, in a way, is kind of saving. There's a couple of Australian kids this week who are playing in Saudi, in the Saudi International, a $5 million tournament, because they're in the top 30 on the Order of Merit. And you can't help but feel those guys all deserve that opportunity. Are you at all conflicted about the notion of sort of Saudi money versus let's not pretend that all the money in Western golf is squeaky clean. I mean, half the people that finance tournaments on the PGA Tour are doing business with the Saudis as well. Yeah. yeah,
1: As Huggy said, I'm not sure where the line is. Saudi (laughs) Arabia (laughs) is on the other side of it.
0: Yes. Which is clever, but it doesn't kind of solve the issue. I think a guy like Trav Smythe and... um, Yeah.
1: Is Ryan Ruffles playing this week? Ryan Ruffles has got an
0: invite uh, to play this week, which is a, a different sort of thing in a different category. But I just... I can't help but feel... So uh, Lynch is very much against this notion about of whataboutism. Yeah. But it's it's legitimate, is it not, like Whataboutism in some ways? You can't give the Saudis a pass at all for anything, uh, leaving aside whether that's necessarily the best way to do it. Yeah. Is, is isolation the best way forward for everybody or to try and get them to do the things you want them to do? Yeah, I,
2: I find it difficult to take that position. Um, I, I think it's important that somebody does take that position. Yes. Um, and Eamon does it. Brilliant, he does. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant at it. Uh, and he's it's, it's also not necessarily writing about the Travis Smiths and, and that sort of thing. When no. he's making those criticisms, um, he's talking about pros who don't need the money, Dustin Johnson, and, um, and uh, yeah. That, and but he's certainly right. It, you know, that that level of cynicism and uh, and cutting um, pros um, it definitely has a role in all of this. I I, I can't put aside. Is it the right way to go about it? Because I do think nothing good comes out of isolation. Um, there, there's got to be some sort of welcoming into the, uh, to the global community. Not welcoming in necessarily. At but least some sort of opening for sort dialogue. Of, and some sort of way to participate in the global community. Beyond because just trading arms. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> I mean, bans don't... They just don't necessarily result in the best outcome for the, for the people in the country... You know the the citizens of Saudi Arabia, and you know particularly the the groups that are persecuted over there. It's not going to be a good outcome for them if you shut shut down uh, the country. Um, so I, I do think some sort of global participation is necessary. But um, I read Eamon's stuff with interest, and it's
0: always entertaining. Yeah, global participation <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean let them take over world golf. And no, make no, that's not. Right. Richard. That, somewhere in between. <laughs> As a player, clates. I oh, know you don't play anymore. What, what would, how would you have dealt with this as a player? Huge sums of money. Uh, let's, an unkind, using a, a second tier player, you know, not one of the guys huh. who's getting, uh, you know, a million bucks to, or two million bucks to go and play as a second tier player. What do you do? I know Meg McLaren had some very real ethical and, and conflicted issues about, playing. she didn't play the first time the LET went to the Saudi Arabia, went to Saudi Arabia, but she did play in one of their other events in England. Uh, I think eventually there was just not really much of a choice for her in some ways in terms of trying to make a living. What do you do as a player? And are we being fair to the players? Well,
1: you probably play, I guess. I remember playing the Indonesian Open one year and getting a letter from an Australian activist. We all got about, you guys shouldn't be playing there because of what they were doing at East Timor. And he was probably right. I mean, they did some outrageous things, Indonesians, and we were playing the Indonesian Open and kind of chucked the letter in the bin and kept playing, which is the attitude of... 26 year olds who don't care much about anything other than playing golf Mm. so inevitably you probably play i mean it's amazing to me that you know it's decimated the pebble beach tournament in america there's no one well there's not no one playing there but you know it's amazing how many americans have gone there for what are are we assuming it's north of 20 million dollars in appearance money
0: Oh, you would have to think so. So, supposedly, that thirty players, high-profile players from the European and PGA Tour, the likes of Shoffley and Tommy Fleetwood and Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, the smallest amount paid was four hundred thousand. That was for the lower rank. So, if you've got thirty of them, and the smallest was four hundred thousand, you'd have to think the biggest is at least one point five to two million.
1: So, that's for Lucas Herbert, probably, presuming he's on the four hundred thousand deal, right?
0: Mark Leishman, Cam Smith. Probably on the four hundred thousand.
1: No, that'd be more than that.
0: You think? I can't. Oh, say yeah, that maybe. But Michael yeah, I suppose. Top yeah, Top I'm fifty probably, in the yeah. world. Yeah, they'd probably be up around. Camp, Keeps like, his top ten now. Is he? Eight, oh, okay. So yeah, yeah he's so, not going there for four hundred thousand. So, so yes, twenty million. As as golfers, shouldn't we be saying this is a good thing for golf?
2: It's growing the pie, as Greg Norman would say. I've, I've got his quote here. Oh, okay, I want to hear the pie quote. This is quote. this is ridiculous. Um, so he says, "There's a really interesting analogy. There's a piece of pie, right? So if these institutions you're talking about." If a piece of that pie has disappeared, does the pie get smaller or does the pie get bigger? What's an intriguing question. <laughs> we see the piece of pie that we're taking. The opportunity to see through the lost opportunity makes the pie bigger. When you look at Facebook, <laughs> he just takes a left turn here. When you look at Facebook, share price was three dollars at one time. Now what is it? He doesn't answer that. But do we know what it is? But, oh, I think he's implying that Facebook's pie got bigger. <laughs> the. First. <laughs> it's just complete nonsense. See, I think, again, back to my theory, in a small group with his char- his charisma, mm-hmm. he could probably carry that off. But that, that just comes across as utter nonsense when you're trying it, to speak to it, it. It is utter nonsense.
0: I, well, I wonder how – it probably speaks to why the Saudis have chosen him to head up this thing, because he is just prepared to go out and be the front man who says gibberish. Gibberish. Yeah. And they've got nothing to lose. Uh, if, it, if it sort of blows back on them. Yeah.
1: Is it too cynical to suggest that he's doing it because they're paying him a lot of money and he wants to build a lot of golf courses in Saudi Arabia?
0: What other and motivation could there be? Through Asia. I think, in honesty, what other motivation could there be? If he, was a, if he had a genuine interest in growing the game, given his position in the game, even though I feel like he's eroded much of that in the last few years on social media... If he was genuine about it, there are a bunch of much more positive ways you could go about doing that than what he's doing. So you can't help but think that, you know, his main motivation has to be money. And yes, you're right, building a lot of golf courses. I think he referenced, it, not in the press conference, how much golf course construction was going on and yeah. how much of that he was going to be. I think you have you got any work in that part of the world, Clay? of you do course design? Uh, Vietnam, Middle East? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Vietnam's a Sort of a hot hotshot, so they've cleverly done this thing with the Asian Tour, haven't they? So th- there's this cloudy relationship with Saudi, Arabia, but it's the Asian Tour that they're doing. What do you reckon would have happened at the European Tour headquarters when they found out that the the Saudi-backed Asian Tour event was going to be played down the it's road? In,
1: in London. London, yeah, that's that's a bizarre shot to fire. That one, isn't it? It's Board a bold thought, shot, I mean, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, where does does Tommy Fleetwood play in that tournament? Great question. It's a question that an awful lot of them
0: are going to... Uh,
1: yeah, that's a bizarre step to go into someone else's territory and say, well, we're here, we're going to play a tournament here. I
0: mean, just... Pretty sure the US but, Tour and European Tour have done that in Asia, though, haven't they? Or have they always co-sanctioned? Did the US Tour not have in Malaysia? In fact, I'm pretty sure it was the one that Cam Smith finished top five. It was, The yeah. US Tour event in Malaysia, which got him a start the next week, mm-hmm. which ended up... In, him finishing third in the US Open and getting his tour card. Yeah. So it's not like it's without precedent. I,
2: mean, uh, I think the um, I mean, the motivation behind it is this Saudi uh, energy league. company, Aramco, Aramco which is, has a very big presence in the UK, and they needed to put the Aramco name on a big tournament there. So I think that's the reason for it. Um, but, yeah, it is a truly bizarre thing. There's a good piece from Alistair Tate, uh, which we can link to in the show notes, actually. Oh, excellent. Uh, You'll make a note of that. London Calling for Asian Tour. Mm. That's, um, yeah.
0: right, let's move on. The Saudi thing is just... its Well, it's going to be ongoing, obviously, but I, that feels like a very bold move to go into the backyard of one of the two major tours in the world and play a tournament there. Yeah. I do think that's a secondary uh, byproduct of them just wanting to have an Aramco event. Because in- they've had the L.E.T. it. They had that Aramco series for the L.E.T. Right. Yep. last year, which was played yep. in New York, London, Saudi and... Yeah. somewhere else, yeah. another sort yeah. of well home schedule. Let's move on from the Saudi thing. It? clay you're a player. How does the Monday morning quarterbacking sit with you? Rory McElroy has been hammered this last couple of days about his decision to go for the 18th green in Dubai uh, when he was sharing the lead, 267 yards into the wind.
1: Well, he would have made it if he hit a good shot, presumably. He just had a lousy <laughs> shot.
2: Terrific shot. It was
1: awful. But they all forget that Three would he hit at the Irish Open a few years ago. What, he hit it to a foot, didn't he? It about I think
0: he hit
2: did didn't he? Back yeah,
1: to back years. Yeah, and 18th or something Stagging in the same tournament as well. Yeah, so good players hit bad shots under pressure. Mm. I mean, Rory's a, when he walked off that 18th green at Valhalla, was it, in the PGA 2014? Yep. yep. Someone had said, that guy's not going to win a major for seven years, should have. What are you talking about? He's the best player in the world. He's dominant. He's won four already. He's going to have have ten by then. It's staggering. He hasn't won another one. He looked at as well bit as light. he plays, and it's just. Uh, I mean, we don't see him play enough. You need to see people play in person to really see what's going on. But yeah. I mean, yeah. last time I saw him play was the Open at. He won at Royal Sydney, and oh, man, he was. Well, he is fantastic. He's a brilliant player. Great to watch, and. But that was a. Inevitably, you ask yourself, would Jack have hit that shot? Or Hogan? or Tiger. Tiger?
0: Tiger hit 3-iron off the 18th tee at Darrell one year. Hit 3-iron off the 18th tee, laid up with an 8-iron, 50 yards short of the green. Pitched on because he had two shots in hand. I think he made par on one by 2 but he wasn't hitting Dave, it well. David Toms? David Toms. <laughs> <laughs> David we Toms laid up, for Ch- sure. Chip well, laid I, up, and he got hammered.
1: But I mean in terms of if they were going for it, would Jack have hit a shot that bad? Not would Jack have laid up, but would Jack have flared that thing oh, into should, the water? Yeah. And,
0: yeah, no. Possibly not. He didn't have that massive miss in him. If you gave Rory 50 goes, at him, would he hit that shot again? I couldn't imagine. so. I mean, part of the
1: problem shot. is that the ball goes so far that they're now trying shots that, those, that Jack never would have tried. Jack would never – what do you be going for? It? 267 into the wind with a persimmon? And a bladder ball? Oh, no, but you yeah, but no. you change
0: the numbers, it's the same situation. Yeah, of course, it? of it's course, right yeah. on the limit of the carry of so It doesn't matter whether it's two twenty or two ninety, if it's on that limit of that sort of three wood yeah. carry, it? So what about that scrutiny though, Clayton? It often strikes me that that would just be horrendous to be somebody like Rory and just get constantly scrutinized. Great when you win, but just must drive you insane in a situation like this to wake up and read all that stuff on Monday morning.
2: Do you think he reads it? <laughs> I guess he can you can, can you you avoid not? it? Can you yeah. Exactly, can you avoid it? I doubt it. Do, do you think the pro shop was scrambling to see if they had any spare shirts <laughs> when he <it> was right? <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> That's just nasty. What do you reckon about He was very angry, movies? though, like, and I, I liked it. Did, I don't know if you watched the... The last half a dozen holes, but well, I
0: did. I went back and watched. I didn't see it at the time. I Went back and watched it the next day. And I, the, the thing that struck me, and that, and I wrote about this that nobody talked about, the slow play was horrific. Oh, there yeah, was not yeah. a shot that he did not wait. In fact, they faffed around at the seventeenth after he drove it in the bush and yeah. had to chop it out. They still waited on the next tee. That's, That's how slow the yeah. group in front were. That's just. And how ridiculous.
2: little time did he take on the provisional? He hit that provisional just like all of us would have hit the provisional. Yeah, like he started walking off the tee, and somebody said, "Oh, you better hit another one." Yeah, you better you hit,
0: re- it, <laughs> hit it exactly where he was trying to hit the first one. Yeah. Of course, as you do. With- and it took no
2: time over. It. it didn't even do his pre-shot no. routine. No. But I was looking at that going, yeah, I like that. I like the how angry he was. And he dropped an F-bomb oh, yeah, it was in good. the crowd when he was trying to get them to move back. And Yeah, classic Rory. Um, it, that reminded me of the Valhalla Rory, mm-hmm. the, the Rory that marched up and said, um, you know, we're playing through. <laughs> it was, yeah, we're hitting up on the end. Yeah, we're going to hit up. You know, that's right. Mickelson yeah. and I think it yeah. was, wasn't it? That was, that was, that, that was so just getting the job done, Rory. But um, yeah, unfortunately, he didn't also listen to like a Peter Thompson of like he just needed to par the last well, four wow. holes to. You
0: got to know the like par the last <laughs> just, four at the Majella's Country Club yeah. if you ever want to win the Dubai Desert Classic. Go out, go out <laughs> and practice that. Does the wait is the waiting a legitimate uh, concern? The slow play, Clates. I know you're not you're not one who cares a whole lot about slow play. You don't think it's as big a deal as a lot of other people do. But in that, I don't know whether you saw it, but it was just horrific. And I imagine you've been caught in those at times as a player. Can't help, can it? Waiting on every single shot?
1: No. But it's part of the deal, sadly. I remember playing, speaking of the Asian Tour, they told us in the Taiwan Open one year, they told us there'd be a wait on the 10th tee because they'd they'd put too many groups on. And and we waited for, I think there were four groups on the 10th tee. We got to the 11th tee. There were seven groups on the 11th tee. <laughs> <Just> progressively worked. <laughs> so that is slow play. I think it took us yeah. seven and a half hours to play. But Wow.
0: That's brutal, isn't it? Yeah. Ooh, seven and a half hours. Just like, to duck down the Asian tour rabbit hole from the 80s, did you see it paid in cash? Am I right about that? You the got paid Asian in cash, tour? yep. So how you did that work the, on a Sunday afternoon?
1: You went to the tour office and they paid you in US dollars cash, $100. On Sunday evening. Sunday evening, yep. They paid you in cash. There was
0: someone there counting it out and you'd sign for it like you would your pay packet when we were younger.
1: Yeah, so I played well at the end of 1984. I won in Korea and I played well in Japan and, and Debbie came home with like $40,000 cash stuffed in a.
0: So <laughs> don't lose it. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. It's just yeah. staggering to think about it. There's a funny story yeah. about Norman, isn't there, getting on a plane with... A hundred thousand dollars or something insane, out of yeah. cash in his bag or whatever. On the
2: it's yeah. no one from
0: the ATO. list <laughs> <thing. laughs> it's, it's past seven years, mate. Everything's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everything's everything's all up. Good. So even if you won, you'd, you'd line up and they'd give you forty thousand dollars. Paid in cash. cash. Yeah. Terry
1: Galter. To- Terry Gallagher used to win in um, Malaysia every other year, and he'd take his thirty-six thousand and stick it in his briefcase and go,
0: go back to Perth. That's why those tour bags are so big. That's amazing. <laughs> it was from back in yeah. those days, you had to fill the <laughs> pockets up with all that cash. Was it good fun playing back there in those days, playing in Asia in those days? Or was it brutal?
1: No, it was great. Yeah, there were 50 Americans used to come and play. So good players. I mean, Payne Stewart played there and Jeff Sluman and Bob Tway. And there were, there were guys who you know, missed a tour school in America would go to Asia and play. And there was a, uh, the, the courses were mostly old. English courses, you know, the English, the courses the English had built when they went out to Asia. We'd play Royal Salanga and Royal Hong Kong and Calcutta and Delhi and Singapore Island. And they were good. You know, it was, it would go from being cold in Hong Kong to hot for five weeks. And you'd finish up in Taiwan and Korea and Japan where it was freezing. Must so have that was a culture
0: a, shock for some of those, particularly coming from America, I would imagine, in the 80s.
1: Well, it was, I remember... I think I'd been to Calcutta. We paid there in 82 and 84. I think it might have been the first time I went there. And I was sitting next to Roger Davis on the plane. He said, watch the Americans when they get out of the airport. It blows their mind, this place. And of course, Calcutta, where at the time, and I assume it hasn't changed much, there were a million people literally sleeping on the streets. They were born on the street. They lived on the street and they died on the street. And it was just mayhem, but a kind of interesting, vibrant mayhem that I really enjoyed. I, I really enjoyed playing in India. But um, it was a crazy place. But you know, to the Americans, uh, American college kids who had grown I up in the country the truth, club, it, it <laughs> was kind of, you could deal with. Yeah, you know, they'd been to the Philippines and Manila and Hong Kong and uh, Malaysia and Indonesia and. Bangkok and you know, Thailand and they got out of the plane in Calcutta it was like wow this is a different world I didn't know existed
0: Was that the year that you were photographed in those ridiculous shorts? It was yeah, that, <laughs> yeah it was yeah <laughs> Have you seen that I photo? Think, I don't think I have. With long socks? We're gonna, you're going to have to find that and put it in your show Young, young, on, they weren't young long Clates
2: photos mate. are always yeah.
0: fun They weren't short Clates I don't think were they? They probably didn't come up to your knee but I don't think they were No they uh, were tennis socks or, we, well, I, yeah, was, was, so I was to
1: do with Spalding at the time, and it was Spalding's kind of a it was Spalding's tennis attire, really. That was what it did was.
0: You, did you play in that or just practice? Were you allowed to wear shorts back then?
1: No, everyone played in shorts. You played in shorts for Hong Kong, was cold, then you went Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, India, Singapore. And you played in shorts? Oh. played in shorts for um, whatever, six weeks. Right.
0: There really is nothing new under the sun, is there? Mm. He's no. He used to allow pros to play yeah. in shorts. Yeah, it was just...
1: Yeah, I mean, Marshy played a lot. Marshy, he, he went he went back and forth. He would play in long
0: pants and in shorts, but... Because the irony, of course, is, Clayton, that's the only time I've ever seen you in shorts, is that photo from 1982. I've never seen you in a pair of shorts at any other time since. Yeah,
1: I'm not a shorts man, really. Just...
0: No, you're not a shorts man.
2: And
1: men over some t- sun shouldn't on your wear legs. shorts, should they? Isn't that what they say? Not,
2: a, not unless they're a leg model. I think yeah. you need to get sun on your legs... Very early in the season, to like, otherwise it's a bit embarrassing. But you're better off
0: just like, don't get the sun on you. Yeah, Yeah. I'm a a long pants guy, I'm not a shorts guy. So, around the house, but not sort of outside the house in in public. Um, I wanted to ask you about Seven Mile Beach Clothes down in Tassie. It's a very exciting project. It is, yeah.
1: Um, Matt Goggins' project. So so You've
0: just come back So things are actually Really starting to move Aren't they
1: Yep Mike DeVries is down there With Lucas Michel Who played the US Masters A couple of years ago Who's now sitting on a Dozer Pushing sand around Uh, It's Matt started Matt told me 25 years ago He he was going to build A golf course out on this Spit of land Right by Hobart Airport And It's taken him 10 years to get all the permits The government permits Which is Dealing with bureaucrats is tricky. Well, it's crown land. So unlike Richard Sattler, who could do what he wanted at Bamboo because he owned the land, uh, you've got to go through, jump through a million hoops to. So it was covered in pine trees, which is weeds essentially. So they cut them all down about six months ago and left them in piles on the ground, which was kind of fine.
2: Must have smelt incredible.
1: Pine, yeah, fresh, pine freshly sawed pine, like, like pine. Yeah, like
2: pine-o-clean factory or something. Mm-hmm. So there are
1: piles on the ground. So the because it's near the airport, the deal is that we can we can burn the trees between eleven o'clock at night and four o'clock in the morning, when the winds from the northeast and it's fifteen degrees or below. That's the deal. Right. So it doesn't leave many nights.
0: No, I was going to say
1: it's fairly so limiting, isn't it? We've had one night so far. I think we've got two nights this week where it looks like we're going to be able to burn. So. We'll so we need to get how many rid of what do you need well there are 250 piles so at 10 piles a night you can do the maths. but I think once we get to March it's kind of the restrictions come off because it's they're not so worried about bushfires and not that there's any possibility that no. burning pine trees on a sand dune on seven mile beach was going to, with not a house in sight is going to
0: create a bushfire but anyway. The optics of lighting a fire in summer in Australia aren't great, are they? <laughs> Even if it's the safest fire in the world, it's just not something that you want to be seeing no. to anyway, be encouraging. Or so like. anyway,
1: yes. we've, um, Mike DeVries is down there. We've got a house uh, in Hobart and we're, he's out there every day from seven in the morning till six at night and shaping up greens and kind of getting the whole place in shape. So you know, it's, uh, it's an incredible piece of land. So if we don't mess it up, which is kind of our plan is not to mess it up um which was richard Sattler's brief at Bamboo. i know i've told you this but we were, tom and i tom doke and i were discussing this it, it was a brief discussion about the course and richard's eyes kind of glazed over he said i don't care what you guys do just don't screw it up <laughs> so that's the perfect owner so that's kind of the Matt Goggin brief as well, although he obviously knows a lot more about golf than Richard I was Sattler. about to say,
0: yeah, Matt Goggin is no Richard Sattler, so how is that working? It must be, A, difficult for Matt sometimes to bite his tongue, and B, how does that relationship work? You're both elite players, touring professionals. Uh, how do those conversations go about the course? Matt's a terrific bloke. I'm not suggesting there'd be any tension, but he couldn't help, I would imagine, but want to have some input as well.
1: Uh No, not really. He's stayed out of it, which has been great. I mean, you know, we've discussed holes, and but we've you know, we've, there's been no pushback from him in terms of what the holes are doing or and we, we changed it. once the trees came off we changed a couple because we could see where we were going and the fourth hole was clearly better not going to the right but sticking up on the ridge on the left and we moved the 13th green which made the 14th different and, but he's very happy for us to make our own decisions and you know, he wants something that he's not interested in building a 8,000 yard course to Tom Watson said the game needs to adapt to modern equipment, well how does it how, how, how does the game possibly adapt to the ball going as far as it does so you know we're not it's, because it's a public course it's got to be commercially successful so we're building a course that like Bamboogle that amateurs can enjoy and have fun at and you know it's interesting golf but if you took a professional tournament there, not that that. Who knows I mean it's, They ought to have The Australian Open Down there Really Occasionally Because okay. the Australian Open Should go around the country Because it's the Australian Open Not the New South Wales Open Or the Victorian Open But You know You can build a golf course That's an interesting test For the best players But You know It's commercially That's what Bamboogle is you, you know It's commercially successful Because people enjoy The questions The whole ask The, the holes ask So it's a You know It's a spectacular site Because the land's great It's and if there wasn't a view of the sea, it would, be, it would still be great land. But I think likely that the only two shots where you don't see the sea are the second shot to the first and the tee shot at the second. So you kind of get a bit blasé about it by the time you get to the fifth hole. So going, okay, the sea's there, but I mean, every, every view's pretty amazing.
2: I noticed uh, famously across in New Zealand at Tara Edie. Which was I think that was also they had to clear a pine forest off those dunes before they built it. But they left one pine there as a little bit of a feature. Have you have you <laughs> left uh, have you left anything standing uh,
1: on the funny you say that. There was a the first hole we <laughs> the first hole we did was the thirteenth. And there was a standard pine trees, which were a really good aiming point from the eighth and the ninth and um were, it was a kind of cool copse of trees above the 13th green and we thought we'd keep them until we built the 13th green and there was a decent wind. And I'd gone home by this, it was last Friday. But uh, Anthony Toogood, the son of the great Peter Toogood, and Mike DeVries were on the 13th green. It was covered in pine needles, right. completely covered in them. And Mike said, they're going to have to go.
0: <laughs> that was that so experiment.
1: down they went on, down they came on. Um, <laughs> ah. What's today? Wednesday? They came, they came down either last Friday or Monday, yeah. So, so, so that's was, it. that was the end of them. And there were two lousy pine trees left to the 18th that have gone, and there was one big one that was left behind the second green, which has gone. So uh, I think there are no pine trees on the site now.
0: Maybe mm-hmm. you can grow
1: one. But didn't they get the Eisenhower
0: tree after it got smashed? They they took a piece of it and planted it, didn't they? So they're going to strike a new Eisenhower tree. The
1: the pine plantation was actually on the five mile beach side of the spit, so that there were no pine trees originally on the side of the golf course. But of course, they just the seed just blew over, and yeah. So they cut the tree. they, They cut the trees down about six months ago, maybe eight months ago. You walk on the site now and there are these tiny, tiny pine trees. Sprouts I mean, Literally, they're an inch high. You must with, be digging those out. Well, you just get, get your wedge pluck out. them out, but there are <laughs> thousands of them. So you can see how in, t- in five years' time, the site would be covered in 15-foot-high pine trees again.
0: How do you do it, Clotes? There was a time when a lot of golf courses were designed on a computer, and I know that there's still elements of that, but do you literally, you and Lucas and Mike DeVries and Matt, you go out there and you say, we should have a hole that goes up here and goes to the left up to there? Is that what you're doing?
1: Well, we identified the Clubhouse site years ago. So that sets in stone, really, where the first tee is going to be and where the 18th green is going to be.
0: And the tenth? Are you an out and
1: duck, or is it no? No, no, we were just doing the best routing. So there's no, so the the thirteenth green gets pretty close to the clubhouse.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you could play the if the course wasn't busy, you could play the you could play the ninth and then duck across. To, in fact, the thirteenth tee is closer to the ninth green than the tenth tee. Is. So you could play the front nine and play the thirteenth, and it's 150 yards back to the clubhouse. You could do that. So we just trudged. We spent years trudging through the pine trees finding what we thought would be good looking holes. In fact you could see the first two holes weren't covered in pine trees you could, you could always see those. So we um, but the rest was just trudging through pine trees and once they were gone we could see yeah, does, what it were does it change it much
0: does it change much changed a
1: bit we changed yeah. the fourth hole which was kind of ducking off to the right and we kept that you know the there's a big ridge that goes down the left of the third and fourth holes at the top the, at the point farthest from the water. It's kind of a cool ridge and, and, the, and the third hole plays out to it then along it and then the, and the fourth hole was going back inland but we, once the trees were gone it was obvious that we needed to keep playing up to the left.
0: How long Which it take was good it go?
1: Because doing that made that a better hole and it made the fifth a better hole because it lengthened the fifth and, and it also gave us more room right of the eighth hole.
0: So How long does it, it take actually, to build a golf course, Clates? When will, when will the first ball be struck in anger at Seven Mile Beach?
1: Uh, sometime next year. So, Matt… It'd be quick, so is it? It's remarkable. Yeah, Matt was sort of somewhere between the 1st of January and the 31st of December next year. So, <laughs> I'll, my guess would be in the middle of next year.
2: How, now, how's it going to be grassed, Clates? Yeah, is it nice. going to be it's all sand, fes- fescues? It? Or? Yeah,
1: it's, it's all, all fescue, sand, yeah. Okay. So, just hydroced the fescue onto it. So, it'll, it'll be exactly the same as Bamboogal.
0: So Are they festi- the same wind issues they had at Bamboo. No, would get blown away a couple of times. No, it's obviously? a much
1: less windy place. Right. Bizarre, you go. It was right in the sea, and you would think well, this is going to be as windy as Bambu. And uh, when we walked it in the forest, there was there were days. I mean, mo- there were, in fact, every, well, there was never there was literally never a windy day in the years we were all down there. And once the trees came off, there was you know, the wind. You can feel it a bit more, but it's it's not a windy side. It's it's incredible. It's much less windy than. Yeah, you know, there are no, there are no eight and nine club wins allegedly that <laughs> apparently happen at Barmbugle, but um, which is a bunch of rubbish anyway. But no, it, it's a, it's a and Tasmania Golf Club, which is five or ten minutes away, is a much windier site. So, so it's kind of it's a bizarre little ecosystem
0: down there, but which is good, I
1: think. I mean, golf needs wind to be interesting, and it's good. I was going to, to say, sport,
0: isn't that what didn't Peter Thompson say? Sailing and golf share in common that they both need wind to be yeah. interesting <laughs> to make them, to make them interesting. He's right. I, I want to come back. I wanted to touch on this. We'll probably finish up with these couple of topics and we could be here all day with them. You mentioned Tom Watson t- telling us that golf courses have got to adapt to modern technology. What was he talking about, Clates? And is that a good idea?
1: Well, he was talking about the game at the very highest level and the fact that, you know, every hole's a driving a short iron essentially. As so far as I can tell, so it, there's that list of clubs that Arnold Palmer used in the 1969 U.S. Open, where he averaged into the green a four iron and driving a four iron. So there's the strongest guy in golf, hitting drives and long and mid lines into pretty much every hole. There was one hole that was a nine iron, maybe a couple of seven irons, maybe. But anyway, if you took a 300 yard drive and a Two hundred yard four iron. To replicate the test that Champions Golf Club set in 1969 at the U.S. Open, I've worked out you would have to be around eight thousand five hundred yards to have Dustin Johnson hitting, averaging a drive and a four iron into every hole, which is essentially what's that? Five hundred and seventy yards? Five sixty yards? Yeah. Driving a four iron. For him. So Street time, time hitting, you know, whatever. You know, so it's. Ludicrous I think the game Can adapt To set the same test Now the question is Was that a one dimensional Test that was Too long and boring And no one wanted to watch it Well that, Watching Arnold Palmer Was pretty cool in 1969 Watching so, Dustin
0: Johnson In 2022 Is pretty cool too though A lot of people would say Wouldn't they
1: Well Watching Well when, he, when you consider three or four years ago, the first time he hit a club longer than a seven iron to a par four was in October. Yes, I know that. I don't think that's I, – I would love to see Dustin Johnson hitting drives and four irons because he, it would sh, it would show off even more <laughs> how good he really is. That's exactly but watching I mean. Dustin Johnson bomb a 320-yard drive and hitting a wedge on the majority of holes is, doesn't show off his skills to me, or Brooks Koepka, or Rory's, or – Prisons or any one of the best players, it's not showing off their their skills. I don't think. So, so how does the game adapt to that? Well, clearly, the Royal Melbourne can't adapt unless they spend north of five hundred million dollars buying roads and houses. And but I mean, you Jack can't have
0: to buy houses, wouldn't they? There's you, no space you, elsewhere. You would have to buy.
1: Yeah, you, you have to buy neighbourhoods. So, the game's best courses. How does the old course adapt, or Muirfield or Pine Valley? Or, not that they have Pro Thomas, but.
2: Or how Augusta, can, literally. Or Marion or Augusta.
1: You know, how can they possibly adapt to that? And, and how can Mike Clayton and Mike DeVries building a golf course at Seven Mile Beach adapt to the modern game when that's not what the business model is anyway? I mean, the, you know, it's about getting local pl- players, amateur players who pay money to play at one of the hopefully best courses in Australia. How, how do you build golf that they enjoy, that's manageable for them? And the last thing they want to do is to be judging back-to-back tees to playing an 8,000-yard golf course. So the game has to adapt. He's right. The game has to adapt because the administrators have got to adapt the equipment to suit the playing fields, not adapt the playing fields to suit the equipment because the equipment's not going to stop. And there are going to be... Who was that six-foot ten South African who flies at 370? Yeah. You know, as I've said to you many times, the freak in one generation has always been the norm in the next. And, and until golf the administrators understand that and think that it's just not it isn't going to stop Bryson DeChambeau sure as night follows day will be the norm in 15 years time flying the ball 330 yards and because once a human has shown what's possible like the 4 minute mile everyone sees well that's how he does it let's go and figure out how to do that and there there are 12 year olds out there who in 10 years time will be swinging their club at 135 miles an hour so the, the administrators have got to adapt the equipment to the coming, well, the realization that that's going to be the norm, and golf courses become utterly irrelevant. Royal Melbourne becomes the equivalent of a six thousand yard golf course. So what's the point of it? You know, there's, there's a point of it for members, and you know the game will exist. You know, as Shackel had pointed out in his in his piece on the quadrilateral about. Greg's press conference in wherever it is this week, Saudi Arabia, the game game would go on if professional golf disappeared tomorrow. People would still continue to play golf. I mean, playing golf for a living is a recent phenomenon. Golf's been going on for
2: three centuries. There's uh, that Alistair Cook quote uh, from that book, The Marvelous Mania. Yeah. They've been playing golf for 800 years and nobody has
0: satisfactorily said why. (laughs) (laughs) That's (laughs) That's a fabulous (laughs) point. What happens... We've banged on about this. Nobody any doubt about what our opinions are about technology and the distance the ball goes. What happens if we do nothing, Logue? Because there's a lot of people who, prom- who promote the idea that we should do nothing. Well, professional golf will go
2: on being this entertainment that I guess it always has been, but it'll, it'll continue to diverge from the golf that we know and people will get more obsessed with uh, hair colour changes and... Hairstyles and things which has like, been
0: the big news in golf the last six months. Cam Smith mullet and Brooks Koepka changing. I'm sure you were all over that. Clates about the the hairstyles of the players Brooks and kept how that changed is. his hair
2: color. So that that's the sort of nonsense that becomes the story when
0: the golf isn't telling the story. And that's what I think. We'll just get more of that. Is it a good business model for the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, the Saudi Super League? Is it a good business model? Uh, I, I don't. Not in my opinion. I think you could focus on. The,
2: the actual core product, which is the golf, and produce better golf, and we've seen that when, despite themselves, they actually stumble upon a good combination <laughs> of of things from time to time, and it it produces good golf, and everyone goes, "Wow, that was fantastic! What an incredible event!" I think we saw that at Yas Links a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Interesting golf. Um, despite themselves, it was just it was played on a good course. Conditions were pretty firm, and it was a real challenge with the wind, and uh, we got really great golf out of it. Um, even even with the equipment, um, but it you know obviously resulted in uh, this complaint that oh you, the eighteenth you can't can 't reach the eighteenth in two a Par five i can 't get to the eighteenth in two it 's got a bunker in the middle of the fairway um, <laughs> i 've got a problem
1: with this entertainment i mean people there 's this throwaway line that sports should be entertainment, sports should be sports it's about the game and how the game 's played and the fact that the game is interesting and it 's well played is I guess that makes it entertaining but turning something into entertainment inevitably dumbs it down and now at the end of the tennis final the commentary was you know you guys put on a great show well it's not a show it's it was a great sporting match so trying to conflate sport with entertainment's a bad i think road to go down because it just becomes a sideshow and a
0: that's a very interesting take because I'm of the camp thats that there is no other point to professional golf or tennis than entertainment.
1: No, I think it's playing the game. I think people want to see the game well played. It's about the game and how, how well it's played and the integrity with which it's played and how well the competitors play it. That's it. The game is what's interesting. Not the, and, 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 and if it's done well... Then it's entertaining to watch, but trying to make it entertainment when it's in fact not entertainment at all. It's a game, it's a sport. And the sport's got to be well played. And I think we, we, you know, the crowds at the Australian Open were embarrassing last week because that's what you get when you turn it into, into entertainment. You get the kiryos show and you get crowds booing and
2: behaving like embarrassingly. Horrendous behaviour.
0: It was like a Ryder yeah. Cup in America. Well, well It was <laughs> yeah.
2: utter not. It was, it was so, so, that, so. That way that, yeah, yep, so, that, that so, those crowd got incited was. Just is there money outrageous in it? Though? and embarrassing.
1: Well, it's embarrassing. You know, it's channel, I mean, the, 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 the great thing about the final point in the Australian Open was we don't have to watch Channel 9 for another year again because I never watched c- Channel 9 or commercial. And you realise after two weeks how bad commercial television is. It says, no wonder their business model shot. Fantastic. It's just horrific how bad that crap is. Isn't you can
2: it? you can subscribe to Stan Clates, and they give the tennis commercial free on.
1: So they well, I should have yeah. it, But yeah, I, mean, I should have done that. I mean, what, what's, uh, and, and all it is the tennis for Channel Nine. It seems to me is a promotion for Married at First Sight. Well, that's entertainment. And look at that appalling. I love
0: this. This is outstanding. Right. I didn't expect <laughs> to go to the world of television, but this is just a fantastic oh, turn for <laughs> the better. episode one hundred. You
2: know, but but sport which, should Which be- couple which couple do you favor in Married yeah. at the first <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Sport lie. should be
1: sports should be about the game and, and the sport and the fact that it's entertaining is a byproduct, but if you try and turn it into entertainment
0: is that possible in a world as commercial as we've got, Clates? Because uh-huh. the reality is that the commercialism erodes that at every turn, doesn't it? We're now in a situation with golf, probably not so much with tennis. Golf may be unique in this way, mm. where the players have such a high value. The problem for us here in Australia, we, go, we cannot attract any really high-profile international stars because we can't afford to pay them what the market says they are worth. So if you're Dustin Johnson or Rory McIlroy or Tiger Woods, all is fantastic in the world of golf. You, you, you can be knocking back a million dollars and making two million somewhere else the same week. Yeah.
1: So we can't play that game anymore. my no, God, no. know, We can pay one guy a million dollars to come and we,
0: Which is what we've done.
1: ...dain us with last. his presence. But going back to Rosebud this week, I suspect that in time it's inevitable we'll play, have a mixed Australian Open. And I think hopefully we've got enough good Australian players that if they all support it and that's a responsibility of, and Cam Smith's been great but Leishman and Badley and Jones and um, you know the, the best Minwoo Lee the best Australian men playing around the world come back and play it and the best women come back and play it Minji and Sue and Hannah and you know Steph Kiriaka and if we can put together a field of the best Australian players on a great course and have a mixed event like the Vic Open, which is a great event to go and watch.
0: Is it workable for an Australian Open client? I love the and, Vic Open; I think and it's a, fantastic an event
2: bit. like that.
1: Well, well, I think it's
2: you know, I think it's that's what we're going to have to do for a national championship. What,
0: a field What's of the problem? 30?
2: Yeah, so it's the final day that you've got to.
1: Well, no, you do it with the LPGA. So you have an LPGA as, as the Vic Open. you have a great LPGA? So so young plays in NB Park and there's yeah. a great LPGA yeah, field. Yeah. The quarters, perhaps, and whoever you know the best LPGA players. You do it with the European Tour and you have a mixed event and you play at Royal Melbourne or Peninsula or the Grange or, you know, it needs to be a 36-hole course probably. Yeah. And you put on a great tournament where the sport is great. There are fantastic players in a great competition where the crowds go and it's brilliant to watch because you're watching the, some of the best women in the world and the best Australian players. And if Rory McIlroy wants to come play, great. But, you mm-hmm. know, put money, make it a truly Australian Open
2: yeah.
1: with the best Australian players and you've got and they have to support it. And yeah, you know, and, and play and, and they're yeah. turning
2: up because they want to win the Australian Open. That's right. They're, yeah. they're not turning up because it's the next no. thing on the DP world tour yeah. schedule. But yeah. they're I, turning up so they I agree
0: up with that. I, I think that the pro of the mixed event is that it's got actual integrity. It's an event. With a difference, it's a genuine innovation, but it also has integrity, unlike the super sixes and some of the other nonsense we've seen that have been sort of tr- contrived. Yeah, yeah. But I do think there's a downside in that size of the field for a start, and the bringing together of the two tournaments. Well, I think there's a real upside to it. There is also a bit of a downside in that each loses a little bit of their identity. Just, just explain the reduced field. Size, okay, so because of it, it ends up because
2: you wanted them to play on the same course on the that's final right. day. That's right.
0: So the Vic Open does it brilliantly and it's fantastic to be there for. So the very last group of the day are the two leading men. The second last group of the day are the two leading women. The third group, last group of the day is the next two men. and the, So its groups are interspersed. Hmm. So and the two that's the payoff are, of the whole concept, and right? It's you phenomenal. get to see that, this fantastic. 18th Green on yeah. Sunday afternoon is a fabulous place. You've been there, Clayton. You've been there, Adrian. Yeah. And I've been there and it's just fantastic. And then you know the, the women have put on a fabulous show. But to achieve that, you can't have a hundred players on the field on, mm. on the course at that time, so you need the two events to have. What about groups of four? No, well, it's, it's slowed down to a okay. point where it's on, on maybe threes. But even that sort of loser. I mean, I'm, I'm watching the um, Queensland, P- the Australian PGA with the WPGA in conjunction. Something was lost a bit there with Sue being in the last group, Grace Kim being yeah. in the group ahead. They were kind of playing head to head, but they're in separate groups, and it it lost a little bit of well yeah, so, Which is not to say that. You know, there's no value in the idea, but I do think there's issues. So, so at the Vic Open, I think it's 30 players from each side make the final round cut.
1: Well, originally it wasn't that they, they made the cut to 70 and ties or whatever it was, and on Sunday there was a morning field and the an afternoon field
0: or something. Yeah, yeah. So it
1: was possible if it got windy that someone from the morning could have won, possibly, which would have been messy. But um, I think that was better than having the second cut when they
0: cut to 35. To, to 35. Yeah, and that's yeah. your, Well, you've, you're a player, Clayton, so you know yourself. You, know, you go into Sunday, you're off early. Who knows? You might shoot 62, and as you say, the wing is up. And bang, you win the tournament. You want those stories to happen sometimes as well. Yeah. So.
1: Well, really, yeah. no-one wins from 36 position. I think didn't Andre Stoltz do it in New Zealand? But it was like 64, then the wing came up. But it doesn't happen. But it wasn't Andre Stoltz. It was someone else. But...
0: Um, but anyway, that's I think that's a bit of a... Yeah. It, it almost for, demeans for a national, a national championship yeah. to only have 35 players for that final round. Is that worth the trade-off? Maybe it is. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just mm-hmm. saying you'd want to think about that carefully. I think the model, the Vic Open has shown us something. I prefer the Vic Open model to the TPS and to what they did with the PJ and the WPGA. Well, I didn't mind the WPGA and PJ thing. But I do think it should be two separate tournaments, two separate titles. I don't like... I don't yeah, no, like, no that uh, should be separate. Yeah. The next, the Sandbelt invitational, I mean for that tournament it's fine. You can have everybody playing for the same person, but I just think there's too many question marks and asterisks if you have yeah, a mixed this, field playing this for this a thing title. with the T positions and for everyone looking the TPS will be great viewing.
2: Um, be fantastic. But, yeah. but the uh, uh, the thing I'll be looking at with interest with this like I do with every one of these TPS things is where uh, are they are they aiming for the tee shots to end in the same spot or are they aiming for the same clubs be hitting into the approach shots or somewhere in between? Well, this is I, a, I think why, the answer they, is somewhere yeah, in between. Why
0: are they aiming for anything yeah. is kind of the question. There's a whole lot in that yeah. too, isn't there, Clive? I didn't realise there's an awful lot of women and professional women who are very sensitive at the Vic Open about the scoring difference between yeah, which the was two. Yeah, stupid. I, I don't get fields. that. I, I, don't I don't
2: get that at all. Yeah, well, we're not
0: women. What we well, to do well, yeah, but is but listen to what the women say and take that on board.
2: Is it, is but it the women who are being sensitive about it? Yeah, yeah. very much. Yeah. Very much so. Well, you
0: know. I don't get you know that they
1: think they look somehow substandard if their winning score is not the same as the men. But does anyone expect a woman running the hundred metres at the Olympics to run the same time as Usain Bolt or jump the jump the high jump? I mean, of course they don't. I mean, no one's com- I mean, women. No
0: one's comparing the scores and saying, well, they're not, not as good. I'm not I mean, sure you know, that it's no one. That's the problem. I don't think it is no one. Well, I actually think that they you know, might have a bigger point with some you know, people.
1: I'm name dropping here but I had dinner with Paul McNamee last night and I would. we were talking about Ash Barty and he said wouldn't, she wouldn't get a game off a qualifier in, in the men's event but no one's looking at Ash Barty and saying well she's a substandard player because she can't beat a man she's a beautiful woman tennis player who plays the game beautifully but she's
0: not playing on the court next I, to a
1: bloke I don't care if she can't Beat Novak Djokovic or get a point or a game. It
0: doesn't I, matter. It's irrelevant. I get, I get that, but she's not playing on the court next to a bloke where the comparison is direct and obvious and visual, and they are at the Vic Open.
1: But no one expects women to score I the I same think as you're men. Wrong. I think
0: you're wrong about no one. I think that there are people who think that... That, 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 well, the, well, you that the could score do that. In difference shows, are, 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 and, and I don't think it, and I don't think most golfers or a lot of golfers, but there are unquestionably people who do think that.
1: But you, you, you could even the scores out by completely distorting the dimensions of the golf course to make the golf course so short that the women shot 20 under par as well, but then every hole's a drive and a pitch. So there's no point to that either. That's when, you, you, that's when we're conflating entertainment with the game.
0: That's where you do what you've often said is that the men's game needs to look more like the women's yeah. game, well, not that, the well, that's other exactly way around. Right.
1: That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. The women's game actually it's is fantastic. how it should be. I mean, the men's fantastic game should yeah. you know. So if they made the ball go shorter, then you wouldn't have to distort the dimensions so much. To- For
0: everyone, are you taking my 10 yards as well as Dustin Johnson's?
1: <laughs> well, that's why they need to do the test. They need to get a rolled back ball and swing it at 70 miles an hour, every mile an hour, through to 130 and show who loses what. So you know, and we've we've done it before. I mean, going back to the ball, when they when they made everyone play with the big ball in 1984, in theory, everyone the the longest hitters lost 25 yards. So how much did the shorter hitters lose? Probably nothing. I don't know, but you know, we showed that we could roll the ball back once and do it successfully, and people didn't give up golf, and that's the of the argument of the manufacturers: is people struggle, give up golf.
0: That's exactly well, right. No
1: one gave up golf in 1984 when the, the Americans forced everyone to play with their ball.
0: The problem is that the manufacturers want to fight over the existing pie. None of them seem to have an interest in growing the game, back the, pie. the pie. pie. We're back to oh, the pies. Fun. If, you, if there's a yeah. slice of pie and you divide yeah. it in two, have you got less pie? Yeah. <laughs> um, they don't want to. They don't want if if, if the entire golf industry was focused on actually growing the number of golfers then there's no reason why you can't. But the problem is the manufacturer is fighting over this small core group of golfers who pay all the money for the equipment the new drivers that come out every year and the, you know, the new okay. range of balls and this belief that somehow that they've got something to do with that. Which is lazy. It's incredibly lazy and it's actually bad
2: for the game. It but actually, you're not going to expect anything more of them. Don't even ask it of them. Not uh, gonna get, you know, you're not going to get anything more out of them. In
1: the end, they're no different than cigarette manufacturers who argue exactly. the corner. You know, smoking doesn't you know, doesn't cause cancer. There's no evidence that smoking causes cancer. We, you know, we saw that in TV screens in the, in the 70s with great regularity. When they clearly knew, been proven since, they absolutely knew it caused absolutely, cancer. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. it's, it's So the case, it? they're going to argue that, you know, not that I'm equating tightness with Marlboro, but um, they're going to argue their own corner, which is fine. But the people who make the rules need to be able to make the rules without being threatened to be sued out of existence.
0: Isn't the simple answer to just have two sets of rules? I mean, we already bifurcate the game with equipment. The equipment that the players use on the tours... Yes, you could if you really wanted to go and replicate that equipment. Nobody A can afford to or B has got the access to the technology to really do it the way they do. But don't we actually bifurcate the game already, Logue, like, in courses? We do uh, it via the course rather than the equipment, which is an extraordinarily expensive way to go about it. Well more more precisely, we do it via local rules.
2: Like it is it is literally bifurcated via local rules mm. where there's that's the the loophole that the governing bodies use to to present uh, professional events with the option to implement certain things that can put a restriction in there that um that effectively bifurcate the rules because no in some of the examples no, no amateur tournament would ever do or like a club event would never adopt some of the rules that are in there on offer to be bifurcated but and so they've got that avenue there it's well established they should just that's clearly what they're going extend to. it to the, the equipment that's uh, the plan that they've got yeah. but of
0: course the PJ tour doesn't have to come on board with that no, that's the whole point of it
2: being a local rule. It's optional. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and uh, well, the PJ come on board. I don't know. Uh, I mean, winding the whole thing forward. What do I want to see? I want to see the golfers with and, the, and taking nothing away from the skill sets of all of the golfers. If if we can get to the to the situation where a certain skill set is rewarded, a, a certain breadth of skills is rewarded with separating a player out from the field, then. It, it's, it's not all about just what clubs they're hitting into the greens. So N-
0: Norman's driving, Pavin's yeah. shot shaping. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Hale Irwin's long iron play. Yeah. A which game where sustaining. Jeff
2: Sluman or Corey Pavin can win a major is a healthy game,
0: I think, yeah. um,
2: depending on the course. And, and then being able to play the events on these great courses, which is all but gone, um, that's, that's what we want to get back to. And it gets to what Clates is saying about being able to see the game played well. Um, that that's an entertain that's entertaining. The- being able to see the game played well, not necessarily
0: um, putting on a
2: product where people are smashing drives. Yeah.
0: And am I right in thinking, Clance, that the game feels today like it's more about the players than about the game than it used to be? Not sure. Um, I feel like the players yeah. feel that as a cohort, they feel that they're more important than they've ever been before. The problem is there's so many of them and they're all so bland. Yeah. Like, go, to, go down to casting and grab me a professional golfer. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, yeah. there's so many Cameron Tringales. And there's, Charles Howell. Which is the attraction of this whole PGL thing where, you know, you could get truly, it, have it truly. more like, uh, you know, the the uh, F1 where, you know, it's down to 20, 20 people who you're yeah, seeing I've- every week. But in golf, you know, let a few more people in. So what's it going to be, 64 or something like that? 48. 48.
0: 48. Okay. Well, there's not 48 players yeah. that people will pay to go and watch in the yeah. whole world. That's the truth of it. And That's right. No, really it really goes. <laughs> you're, you're struggling
2: to find more than 15. And in 15. fact,
0: once you get beyond the world's top five, six players, it's, no, it's just not on the rankings, there's, there's certain personalities people will follow. And yeah. ironically, John Daly would be one of them. If you included John Daly in a PGL team, it would be extremely popular.
2: Yeah. A well, huge you know, he could be an advisor to a team or he could be a team <laughs> a, a team, team <laughs> manager or something like that. Imagine as a team manager. Um, but uh, you know that's the attraction of that is that there can be a bit of a circus around these teams, which is what you have with F one. Half the personalities on that yeah, Netflix show down. are all about.
0: Is that what I uh, want my golf to be? And people. does it matter what I want my golf to be? What do you reckon, Clayton? So we just old and stodgy, and we got used to golf one way, and we don't like. I want them both. I want, both. I want that.
2: that entertainment of those personalities. I don't, I don't, you know, nothing against Cameron Tringali, but I, I want the personalities and a smaller group of them that I can focus on. And a bit of a circus around them. Plus, I want the better golf.
0: Do you eliminate Bob May if you do that from the two thousand PGA? Are Rocco Mediate from the two thousand and eight US Open. Well, the major still, still, isn't Major still,
2: Jack, uh, Fleck? The majors are Jack Fleck? The majors, Jack Fleck. The majors of the majors. Jack Fleck's one. Yeah, yeah. one of the great.
0: great are we, are we just stodgy ones? clothes? Should yeah, we're well, stodgy, but different. Yeah. You
1: know, the game was great in the. Set. I mean, I think the heyday of the tour was the seventies. Weisskoff and Miller and oh, yeah. Palmer and Nicholas and Trevino and Player and it's brilliant stuff.
0: Have you played your epoch game with clients?
2: I think so. Yeah. We're trying trying to work out what's the intersection and get it down to a single event. An open. It
0: probably
2: preferably. it's probably gonna be an open where where there's the perfect confluence of equipment well, 19, uh, well, conditions and, and a hardened. He
0: doesn't a, even have to think about it. He's firm, got an answer a firm ready. course. For Sorry, yeah. go ahead. What do you got?
1: Well, 1960, US Open. Oh, so that, yeah. Nicholas is a 20-year-old amateur, Palmer the best player in the world, and Hogan at 48. Hogan hit 34 greens in a row the last day, and he had 18 greens on the second day. So, um, and Nicholas who probably should have won, but,
2: you know. And Palmer who should have won. <laughs> Palmer who did win. <laughs> and then... Um, he drove the first. So yeah, That's fine. right. And then the no, seven- I can
0: say Nicholas should have won. I played with the kid today who should have won yeah. this tournament if he had any yeah. idea. Half a brain
1: he said, yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> then, exactly right. which he proved to have more than half a brain he said, not long after. Um, the 75 Masters was great. Miller, yeah. Weissgough and Nicholas, that was a great tournament.
2: Surely an open is going to be. It, it's gonna, you've got the course conditions and yeah, it, it's going to be.
1: Probably superior. 77 was pretty good, wasn't it? Turnberry, that was a great open.
0: Yeah, just two players though. Um, oh, no, there were other players. They were just playing another tournament. Was it Hubert Green? He finished <laughs> Hubert there? Green, yeah. I, I don't know what tournament those guys were playing, but I won the Open as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the 84
1: was
2: a great Open, Watson, Seve. Yeah, yeah. I, I think 85 is pretty good at St. George's with
0: uh, Lyle and mm-hmm. David Graham and yeah. Langer. Yeah. For commentary, 86 with Weiskopf and Nicholas on the tee. Yeah, that was a good. Yeah. <laughs> and and Nance says to Weisskopf, "What's he thinking?" He says, "If I knew what he was thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I'd have won this damn tour. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I think <laughs> brilliant. You know, the equipment's gotten easier and easier to use. The more difficult the equipment is to use, the better the best players show off why they're the best players. I think. Well,
0: the longer clubs—is that true of the short? Adam Scott talked about this this week. Interestingly, he's no longer with Titleist, which I thought was a really surprising announcement. That's a relationship I can't remember Adam Scott ever using any other club than Titleist in the whole time. I've ever is he still, still using Titleist clubs, or is he? I, just- I would imagine. I can't imagine he's going to change. That at this stage of his career, I mean, he's, so he's, and I'm sure he can go to Titleist and get as many clubs as he wants. He's just not getting paid and sponsored. But he said this. He said this past week the driver head should be smaller. Would make for a better game. So, well, it, but it, so it's not through the bag, is it? It's the it's the longer. It's where the good players have always separated. Seve so could hit high one irons and two irons. Norman could do that. Nicholas could do that. Tiger could do that. They That's where the separation. The
1: other guys couldn't hit. Was. That's right. Now can could do that. Now, if you can't do that, you just get a hybrid and hit it up in the air with yeah. a hybrid, or a, or a, or a three iron that looks like a bulbous, you know, a big like a driving iron
0: sort of thing. It, yeah, yeah, with big it, all the way to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I uh, hit some with some hickories the other day. And, how'd that go? Uh,
2: really good. If you hit if you hit a hickory well, it feels indistinguishable from a modern club. Hmm. If you hit it bad, you, you feel it, but actually not that bad. Um, it, it's surprising. Like, it, I've played the hickories before. Yeah, it's.
0: It, it, I think it's as much as anything, Clayton, with old, old equipment, it's a, it's a sort of a confronting visual, isn't it? Yeah. When you've been playing with the big-headed stuff and the perimeter to, you put down a blade club and it's just intimidating to look at. You're daunted already because it, it's visually it's intimidating. It pretty much just felt like golf to me.
2: Yeah. Like I was still doing the same things and of hitting course. a ball and when I hit a good one, it felt the same as a good one.
1: With hickory, you can see the point to the strategy of the golf course. If you have to run the ball on of the green with a yeah. forearm with a hickory shaft... If you're on the wrong side of the fairway and you've got to come over a bunker, it's a much more difficult proposition than it is from the other side of the fairway, when you can run the ball onto the green. So, so there was a point. There was a, you know, the the, the most strategic the game ever was 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 with hickory, because you couldn't loft it up over the, over the hazards in front of the green as easily, with hickory as you could with steel. And now with the modern stuff, it's just, you know, it's a Scott forces stuff. It doesn't matter where you hit it; just hit it as close to the green as you can and wedge it on. Well, that's. The game dumbed down to its lowest common denominator. It's right?
0: a skill set, but it's the least interesting form. The golf is at its most interesting when the ball is on the ground and moving. Yeah. Which is obviously
2: impossible when most of the courses they play these days are Wet. a big green blob. Soft. Yeah,
1: yeah so Scott S- Fawcett's model is predicated on splat. the most important thing is hitting the ball as far as you can because the further you hit the ball, the lower you score, according to it, which is probably true. So, you know, is that what... You know, the game's come down to is it yeah, all so about how far dispute, you hit the ball off the tee? Right.
0: Nobody disputes the the what he's suggesting as yeah. he's straight then look consists. at system
2: shot dispersion and then where do you hit it yeah, based but on that? I- is it
0: the most interesting or challenging or entertaining For, form of the game?
1: What's the point of the golf course if it's just about how far how close you can drive to ball of the green and just wedge it on from anywhere? I mean, just, you could do that
0: at Top Golf, couldn't you? you might well, yeah, you might as well play it on a grid or something, some like long drive, yeah. There's a reason long drive's never taken off as of some huge spectators, because it lacks all the nuance that makes golf interesting. Um, you
1: know. That's, speaking about, we've had enough of this. Um, Lydia Coe. Take,
0: take yes, Lydia Coe <laughs> has a win, her 17th <laughs> at the age of 24. And what was, the most, well, what was the most interesting thing about that win, Clates?
1: Well, she wasn't apparently
2: using PXG clubs.
0: No, she's no longer on contract with PXG, which is interesting. So that brings up, and you would have seen this so, so huge amount w- of.
2: You mean their their carbon fiber crown and precision weighting technology and so, honeycomb TPE inserts and hot rod technology? She had some PXG helping. clubs in the bag she didn't have from the a picture I saw, She didn't have the assistance of their
0: Impactor <laughs> no, Reactor technology. You're not a fan of PXG, are you? <laughs> from memory, PXG uh,
1: was it was genius marketing, wasn't it? I mean, double the money. price and. I mean, the guy's a it's,
0: all did marketing, and it's all, good job at marketing that stuff. Well, it's all I think it's all crappy marketing. Well, all, people forget. People forget that Bob Parsons, when he started this company, said he was adamant, we will not pay a single tour player to use our equipment. And a year later, they started <laughs> paying tour players yeah. to use the equipment. So right from the outset, you know, the strategy was fairly clear. Well, what's the role of equipment and brands then, Clutch? You would have seen this a thousand times. You've probably done it yourself switch clubs, were there much in the way of endorsement money for clubs when you were playing the game and did that ever have any impact on your performance?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, well not well for me, Ping were I played with Spalling for years and then uh, Ping had the most generous payment scheme for players like me because they just paid you on how well you played, they, they gave you a bag and some clubs and they were great at that and you filled in a form every week about did you play in the pro How many clubs did you use? Did you wear the hat and where'd you finish? And, and at the end of the year, they sent you a check, which was oh, way more than ever I deserved. But, so Ping were a great company and they made great clubs. But, I mean, everyone makes great clubs now. I mean, there, there, was, right, was, but, you know, there was no such thing as a bad golf club.
0: That's right. So does it really Peter make Fowler,
2: any... Peter Fowler nodding his head. Yeah, the Peter out.
0: Fowler, who's been a Ping <laughs> player for as long as I can remember, he's always used Ping stuff. So that begs the question, Close. Does it matter? Does anybody seriously think... That Rory McIlroy couldn't play the game as well with Callaway clubs or Titleist clubs as he does with TaylorMade, and does it really? Is there really anything interesting about Lydia Ko no longer using PXG? Is it, do we overblow this stuff? Do the manufacturers want us to believe it, but is it true?
1: I don't know. I just saw Sue O play with a set of PXG clubs at the she as as she's doing next week at the Vic Open she's arriving on Wednesday from America so I was carried for her a, a while ago few, I don't know five, five years ago maybe she flew in from America on Wednesday morning didn't play the pro-am on Wednesday afternoon so we we got on the first hole on the beach course first on the creek course first round par five driver through whatever she got on the second hole with these PXG irons and it was a it was a high soft six iron was the right shot, 165 yards. It was between a six and a seven. And she hit this PXG iron that I'd never seen her hit a PXG iron before. And it came out this low, hard bullet thing that landed in the middle of the green and went over the back of the green. She said, I should have hit a seven iron. I said, I didn't say it, but I should have. I said, no, you should have hit a high cut with a six iron, which is the shot you had on call with your Callaway irons. It took me a while to realise that these PXG irons aren't any good for you. They might be great irons. They're no good for you. And they're out of the bag and in two weeks, they were gone. That's a fitting issue, though, isn't it? There'd be club fitters all over. Well, they would. Club but that's, listen would, to us. But it, yeah. it, was, it was interesting. It took me one shot to see that, well, that was a shot you would never hit with those other clubs. Hmm. And it came out like a rod. came out hard and phew, milled that the was green the over hot, the back.
2: The, the hot rod technology. <laughs> that was <laughs> the hot rod technology. Yeah.
1: That was- but, you know, in fairness, I've, I mean, I've hit a few of, I mean, her sister actually plays with those clubs now, but um, and they look flash in the bag. And people, just, I mean, I, I think they did a brilliant job marketing that company. You know, these are.
0: I look, and the, but, the guys who designed the clubs have got serious cred. They're both yeah, from Ping.
1: Yeah, Ping, former yeah, Ping employees.
0: Yeah. They design clubs for Ping for years and years and years. And they now design. They don't do the marketing, but they design the PXG yeah. clubs. So uh, I've always found it staggering how, particularly in the modern era, you can have pros, and it's amazing how often it happens. Pros who. Just don't have the right equipment. Tell the story about Julie and Sue. Julian Sue from last week, Clates, that you told me the other day.
1: Well, she had a PXG 3 wood, and she, I not like this club, I can't hit it. I said, give me a hit of this thing. So I had a shot with it. it, just felt horrible. So I had a Callaway 3 wood that I just, well, hit this, try this. And so she flushed that and hit another shot with it and said, can I use this in the PGA next week? <laughs> Which he took it to Royal Queensland, so I've I've now lost my three wood. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's how you do club fitting. Yeah. That is exactly how you did club fitting for years, wasn't exactly it? I remember how did Norman yeah. had in in when did they play the Australian Open? It might have even been ninety-nine the year battle he won. Norman still had a Persimmon three wood in the bag, which I think he'd had for twenty five years. Yeah. Just a crazy amount of time. Well
1: then you know, Peter Thompson when he won that open, the famous story about he was using McGregor irons and hated him and he was contracted to use them and because he had a deal in America that Tony Penner had set up and he had these clubs. He said, I knew I couldn't win the Open with them. They were horrible. So I went to John Letters who made good clubs and I said, John, have you got a set of clubs I can use? He said, yeah. He went to the boot of his car and pulled out a box of brand new irons and gave them to him and he won the Open with them and gave them back to him on probably Friday night. The Open probably finished on Friday back then. And he gave them back to him on Friday night. That was club fitting in the 50s.
0: Yeah, there you go. Didn't Kel Nagel do something similar? He, he Thompson, the year he won the Open, didn't Thompson convince he did. him to use a different set of irons he and he felt terrible for his whole life that he was contracted to play? I can't remember what the brand was, and he didn't play them to win the Open. he used, a, he used set a set of, of
1: spaulding irons, maybe.
2: Yeah, I yeah. Think he did, yeah. Well, they used to just give... Nicholas's set of Spaulding's when he came out to Australia, didn't slushenders, yeah, or oh, slushenders. Sorry, Schlesinger, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The whole he, reason they he, came he, out to Australia. Here's your clubs for for this trip, and you just give them back at the end of the trip.
1: Mind you, mind you the, the guy in the factory used to make them for Palmer. Well, he made them for all of them. Sandy Fakely, his name was, and he, you know, he made beautiful clubs. Here in Sydney, yeah, in Sydney, yeah, back when there were there was an industry in Sydney that's making right. golf clubs. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's now that housing estate, the, the Meriton Apartments over the road from Moore Park was where the Schlazinger and PGF factories used to be. Ooh, so there'd be a plaque there. Um, I think Are you he
0: living there?
2: No, no, no. No, <laughs> so, but um, T- Clo- Clo- Clover Moore lives somewhere in
0: that. Oh, don't she? There. <laughs> there you go. She <laughs> no,
1: wants to take the golf course and ruin the golf <laughs> yeah, course because <laughs> they failed to plan yeah. for... Anyway, um, I think he used to send Palmer those clubs in the middle of the year. He, he would send them to America and Palmer would bang the lies and loss and regrip them and... But he made the, beautiful
0: clubs. He made that set of clubs Trevino used for years. and I was going to say, the Australian Blade came out of uh, yeah. that factory, did it not? And I think well, it, was, it was...
1: Yeah, the, the original set, they just stamped Slazinger on the back. Yeah. They made for, made for Trevino. friend of mine, Greg Alexander, caddy for Trevino at the Yarra Yarra in 1969 when Devlin beat him in a playoff. And he gave Greg that set of clubs.
0: To- wow, has he still got them?
1: Well, no, he came back in 1982 and said, you know that set of clubs I gave you? <laughs> he said, I, do you still have them and can I have them back? He said, I've still got them and I'm not using them. And of course you can have them back.
0: Oh, that's outstanding.
1: So, um, but Greg used Just- those clubs for years. Now they're, they're a beautiful set of clubs.
0: Just to go down a rabbit hole quickly, Clutch. You know, you remember Vaughn Summers had the hole in one up at Cool and Get a tweet
1: and he won the unit. And then
0: he still a got the six on. in the back of the. Still shop, got the yeah. six iron. I, yeah. I I did an interview with him just around Christmas, and he took me down <laughs> underneath Capital Golf Club there, and he showed me. He pulled it out. off, have touched the six iron. He still carries it. Which was the rest uh, of the set's gone, but he's got the six iron still.
1: I think David Graham won the U.S. Open that year and won a one fifty five thousand fifty five thousand U.S. dollars. Yeah, and Vaughn with one shot won that
0: apartment yeah. that was worth $185,000. Yeah. And then so the next 12 months arguing with the tax department about... Yeah. Um, did, about didn't you buy a
2: house from a hole-in-one, Clates, on yeah. 13th at Metro or something? Yeah. Well, I did there win the go. tournament,
1: and I made a hole-in-one the week before in Tasmania. So I won, you know, it's, there's a commentary on house prices. I won $43,000 in a week, which was, more than half, which was more than half of what that house cost. So to win the equivalent now would be to win... I'm giving away my house, but probably I don't know seven or eight hundred thousand dollars, because every house in Melbourne in that area is worth one point something million dollars. But it, it, it would be the equivalent of winning yeah. in a
0: week eight hundred thousand dollars now. I can tell you, your $43,000 clothes, having just bought a place here in St. Leonard's in Sydney, would buy you exactly half of a car parking spot in a high rise building Mm -hmm. because it's about 100 grand of a car parking spot, let alone the unit itself. So that gives you an idea.
1: I heard the Prime Minister telling us yesterday at the National Press Club that it it was always been difficult to buy a house. Well, let me tell you, it's a lot more difficult now to buy a house than it was in 1977.
0: It's got to be borderline impossible, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. like seriously.
2: My brother, like for young I'm kids, like, yeah, yeah. It used to yeah. be five or six years of belt tightening. Yeah, now it's yeah. you know a a thirty-year uh, loan, yeah. and you're going to yeah. you're, you're you're hoping that the equity will increase. that's right. You're never going to pay it off. Yeah. You're hoping to
0: sell it at yeah. some point down the track when you've yeah. got the equity. My brother's at North Bondi, not near the water or anything. The place next door to him, he's in a semi, three point eight million dollars. Yeah, it's staggering. For a semi-detached house on a suburban street in North Bondi is just staggering. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with golf. Uh, we better let you go, Clayton, because I know you've got to get on to the TPS. Thanks for good to have a chat. it out to Chuck Fowler for us. Best of luck this week at the TPS.
1: Yeah, it'll be a fun week.
0: A How's Elvis playing? How's Elvis playing?
1: Playing all right. He played okay at Royal Queensland. He actually didn't play that well, but he finished. He, well, no, he didn't hit the ball that well. He played brilliant golf because he didn't hit the ball that well and finished 12th. So that's good. Is that more important?
0: to finish 12th when you're not playing well yeah that absolutely feels like a good sign doesn't yeah. it that's the yeah. key to golf key isn't to it yep. take your bad golf and make it better
1: so your Jed Morgan who's Jed Morgan, who won there I think he's in Saudi Arabia right this week uh, oh I'm not sure he's not Maybe. here I, I, I think he's in Saudi Arabia I yeah think quite he's possibly got his European tourist cards stitched up with his 180,000 bucks and so anyway so yeah so I think Elvis is playing okay
0: so we'll see all right, best of luck this week. We'll Thank be you. watching. I think this room, streaming so we'll be looking out for you. And uh, Clates will be the one in jeans uh, every day who uh, yeah. c- carrying the bag around the place. Thanks for your time, Clates and Adrian. Good to talk to you. Thanks for coming Thanks in. Thanks very much. Right, took a couple happy of unexpected turns. Hundredth but... episode. Yeah, happy hundredth. I don't think it was all that special, but it was always good to chat with Clates. So that was good fun. We'll be back next week to do it all again for episode one hundred and one here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.